What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast for Sunday night, Monday morning. Wow, May May really felt like the longest month of our lives, didn't it? And it's probably not going to get uh, any better anytime soon. So, you know, hang in there and, and uh, just... Uh, Try your best to 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 be disciplined. Uh, this the beginning of this show is going to be a little bit different than uh, what you expect from us, John and myself, and and all of our guests. Um, you know, I think it'd be a little uh, irresponsible to not really uh, even mention what's going on in this world. You know, I am I'm really hard on WWE when. They try to pretend that what's going on in this world isn't happening in their universe, and and I would be hypocritical if I didn't uh, mention that here. Um, you know, we we try to be a, a, as honest, and and while you know podcasts are an escape, uh, it, to some extent they are entertainment, but at the same time, um, you know, if you kind of avoid talking about uncomfortable things. I'm not exactly sure how much depth uh, your show does have. We don't make it a habit, and but I just think it's 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 a uh, it's a necessary for uh, for tonight. So if you don't want to hear it, you know, fast forward a couple minutes. That's fine. You're not gonna hurt my feelings. Um, but I think it's I think it's relevant, um, and and especially some of the things that I that I have been kind of not really researching, but just kind of digging into and and trying to figure out ways in which. I can help or be of, um, I got yeah, just be of help in some way in, in a time where some of this does really feel a little helpless. Um, first off, uh, you know, just want to shout out uh, everybody who is uh, dealing like it, it, you're dealing deal. Uh, try to be, um, try to be on the side of of empathy. I would suggest, um, you know, I, I think that's that's the biggest thing that we can all take from this situation is uh, the 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 country is is angry and sad and emotional, and we need to empathize with with people. And if you are not feeling that way, then you know, I would maybe pull back a little bit and kind of dig in a little bit more about what's going on uh, in, in the world. Uh, the the thing that uh, I kind of just wanted to mention so you know we are a product of, of blue wire which is a, a fantastic growing budding podcasting network uh kevin jones and and the people who have invested in us it is a really exciting place to be because you know you're, you're looking at sort of a, an origin of of something that hopefully grows into something large and and uh even more productive than what we currently do and you know they I'll just I'm just going to quickly read from the uh, the social media post today, but even you know our our podcasting company Blue Wire created a post, uh, and uh, Blue Wire donated a thousand dollars each to Black the Black Lives Matters organization, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Los Angeles Action Bail Fund, Atlanta Solidarity Fund, and the Brooklyn Bail Fund. You know I think it's important that you know. Those of us on social media, if you are not on social media, this is, I am not talking to you, but you, ha- if you have a presence of some sort, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's necessary to, to show that presence and to, uh, 
again, be empathetic, but be positively against what is what has been happening. Um, the situation, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see on social media, people will go, oh, you know, it sucks. Like I, I, I sit on this side or I sit on this side. But there is almost a, an unwillingness to really call out the situation, which is the, um, you know, what Colin Kaepernick is, has been talking about for the last four years, really, the uh, the unfairness, the inequality uh, with race in the in this world. And, and, you know, put that hashtag in there, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I think it is important. It is powerful to show that that you are... Um, you know, that you have your friends and family's backs in this situation. Uh, the other, the other company, you know, my job, the company that I work for next door also had a, had a post and, and they literally put in huge font, Black Lives Matter. Um, that, that is, that is key here because people, I see people who are very supportive, but they they are I think a little scared to to write that because they're a little fearful of of who on social media is going to disagree with them or what kind of conflict comes out of it. Look, this is an uncomfortable conversation, and the uncomfort that you feel or the discomfort that you feel, and the um you know the the worry about conflict and and having to really see. Uh, the differences in, in in the opinions that you may have with friends, when, you know, it's easy it's easy to share things that don't really matter, you know, your likes or your 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 hobbies or whatever. But you know, when people have difference of, of opinions, it's a little uncomfortable. And you know, I I won't say that I haven't unfriended folks on on Facebook or unfollowed people on Twitter. But this is like the time, right? Like like when you think of your networks and your social circles, um the when things are uncomfortable and important and urgent you kind of see how other people are affected or not affected and uh, and you know that that's where you know your networks either can grow or shrink from from those moments i've also followed a lot of new people i've also befriended a lot of new people who who I may have had just sort of small relationships with, but I see the things that they're doing and I just want to be a part of that. Um, the other thing is just, um, you know, the the situations that are going on around you. Ask your friends who are African-American. Ask, um, you know, maybe friends of friends if you don't have uh, very many African-American friends. And, you know, what can I do? Blue Wire donated some money. I have a, a a buddy who he's it's actually his birthday today. Shout out, big money, Mike. Though he's not going to listen to this, you know he he is out and out straightforward with what he expects out of his friends during this time, and I support him for his honesty, and I support him for how upfront he is, knowing that he's going to offend some people. And again, you know, the, the fact that the situation is uncomfortable is, is it's supposed to be, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. Um, you know, the leadership in the country is supposed to be a little bit of, of a building block to solutions and togetherness, but it's actually doing exactly the opposite. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the thing about your friends and and folks who you may have opposite uh, opinions with, 
I think that's great, right? Like the opinions and the differences of people is what makes our relationships interesting and and thoughtful and educational opportunities. But it's the political leaders and the divides and the division and the divisiveness that is splitting that up. You can have these different opinions or different thoughts, but when the politicians use that to divide, you know, don't let, don't fall for that banana in the tailpipe. Like, understand that we can, you know, that you don't, you don't have to stand on top of the mountain and say, you know, well, this is happening. I, I sort of agree with it, but this is also happening. And, and so, you know, I'm supporting all lives matter or something like that's just the worst. It's just the, the worst thing you can do is cop out like that. Like think of the people who are really struggling versus, you know, this, this, uh, badge of honor that you wear in your chest that says that, you know, this is, this is how you're going to vote in November. Like, you know, I think that, I think that's part of it. And the media is doing their, you know, is doing a, a pretty piss poor job too. And I'm not talking about real journalists, you know, the real journalists who are out there and reporting fairly. I'm talking about the biased media who's trying to show one side or the other about what's going on and not doing it in a, in a truthful way. Um, but, you know, the last thing I would say is if you, if you are just unsure, you know, re- reach out to me. You know, people who listen to this probably understand ways to get a hold of me. And I, it's not like I have the answers, but I know how to, you know, I, I do my research. I reach out to friends. I am, um, you know, I go overboard on that kind of stuff to make sure that I'm being supportive and I'm on the right side of these things because I want to learn as well. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, note that at the start of the show, uh, we will have um, Dave Meltzer on, and he'll be the next segment after the break. He and I talked about uh, the UFC show coming up this weekend, and we'll have coverage of that of the UFC show on FightGameMedia.com. Uh, we will have uh, our normal betting posts, uh, which I which I like to call the big payback because hopefully you're, you're getting a little bit of cash if you're following the advice of uh, Ryan Frederick and uh, Paul Fontaine. And uh, Ryan will have his column about the show this weekend, the things that, that happened this weekend on UFC Fight Night. Tyron Woodley looked a thousand years old compared to what, what he used to look against Gilbert Burns, who looked really good. Uh, and uh, we'll also have... Uh, the play-by-play, I will I will do play-by-play the show this weekend, and uh, may, might have a, another column or two about the show. Not not a huge show, not a very big show at all. And Dave and I kind of talk about that. And then uh, John Larocca comes back, and and I bring I'll bring him back on, and we'll talk about the final segment of We Want Flair, which is uh, the cage match between Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair to kind of cap our. Uh, we want Flair monthly uh, project on Hogan coming to WCW and kind of making it his own, really. It really does become the Hulk Hogan wrestling company uh, after this match here. So we'll talk about that. And um, thanks again for listening. Uh, I hope uh, I hope everybody is, um, you know, is, is trying to do the right thing and trying to be positive and 
and, and, and looking f- to support your, uh, your people, looking to support your friends. Uh, if you have African-American friends who are, are not dealing well with, with what's going on, they, it, it is terrible. So check in on your friends, um, you know, post positively on social media, support folks who are struggling and, uh, you know, let, let's, uh, let's force the, uh, the leadership here a little bit to, you know, be responsible. I mean, it's really, it's really what it is. We, we, you know, you would think that the coronavirus, <laughs> it, the coronavirus itself shouldn't discriminate. I know from a poverty standpoint, folks, uh, who cannot, you know, sit, sit at home like me, um, I'm, you know, I've the job that allows me to, and, and those folks are, are probably getting sick because they just cannot uh, work from home or whatever. But you know, the coronavirus doesn't discriminate, so I don't understand why we all are sort of divided on this topic as well, like wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It's just really stupid. But uh, but anyway, so uh, we will uh, we will check you uh, hopefully. You, you enjoy the show, and I will check in at the end to uh, talk about the upcoming show on Thursday with John and I. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events. 24 7 UFC 250 is this weekend and uh, we'll have a we'll have our our, our big payback uh, column that will uh, give you Paul Fontaine and uh, Ryan Frederick's advice on on, on possible fights to bet on uh, and live right now on the bet online YouTube channel you'll find an exclusive interview with ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper Horse Grant Bill Cartwright and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, bringing on Dave Meltzer here to talk about the UFC show on Saturday. Um, doing a little home and home. I was on Observer Radio, so bringing Dave on uh, the Fight Game podcast. Dave, when you look at uh, the pay-per-view buy rate for the last two shows, so the UFC show and the AEW show, do you think that bodes a little bit better for the UFC show this weekend? Because on paper, this is one of the... I don't want to say it's one of the worst because there are some good fights on it, but just from a from an actual star power... Um, point of view, it, not not great for for what you would have to spend. You know, sixty five dollars. I, I, I mean, I mean, I like look at like like I I look at the show and like I said like you said there's some good fights, but I don't think anyone knows Felicia Spencer and Amanda Nunes isn't a draw, even though she's a great fighter. So yeah, I would like if I'm looking at this under normal circumstances, I'm going to say a hundred thousand buys. And with with the fact that it's not on television pay per view and only streaming, less than that. But you know, maybe you know the the last two pay per views have both done way way above what everyone expected. So maybe you know the sign that people aren't getting together means that there's going to be more buys because people aren't getting together. And there are no sports bars, you know, because this might be a show where 
a UFC fan would go, oh, I'll, I'll go to the sports bar and watch it. I'm not going to pay 50 bucks. But there's no sports bars open. So maybe it's just one of those things where, eh, maybe, you know, I'm a UFC fan. It is. It's, it's Saturday night. So maybe, but, but it's not going to be a big number. I can't see it possibly being 200,000, put it that way. Felicia Spencer, uh, I guess her biggest fight to date was against a Cyborg, and she lost, but she did not get knocked out in that fight. But goes into the but fight. She wasn't. She wasn't. She. She never. She never threatened her once. No. Uh, heavy, heavy, heavy underdog. Um, I, I can't imagine that she has much of a chance here. But just the fact that you know we're in this kind of weird reality with with uh, training camps and, and situations. Do you think that gives her what, whatever small chance there is? Do you think that bodes a little bit better for her or does it not matter whatsoever? I don't know what kind of training she's doing, so I couldn't really answer that. Um, there is an advantage if you're in places where you can train and have more partners than other places where you don't. So perhaps, but I don't know. The uh, the other the other fights on this show: Sun Xiao, Cody Garbrandt, uh, Aljamain Sterling, Sanhagen. What uh, on the main card? What is like the the fight that you are looking forward to the most? Um, I you know Cody Garbrandt fights are always fun, so I would say that one. Although. Um, Sandhagen's looked really good of late, really, really good. And Sterling is, you know, right there in line for a Bantamweight title shot right now, pretty close. So I'm the most intrigued by that fight in the sense of the winner of that fight, if they're going to go with uh, Peter Yan and, and Jose Aldo for the vacant Bantamweight title, which is what Dana White said, I would say that the winner of... Um, you know, I mean, really, whoever Sunsell and, and Garbrandt, I don't know that you know, Garbrandt's lost a lot of fights, so I don't know that you can go with him. Um, but I do think that the winner of Sandhagen and Aljo, I do think that that, that winner could, could get, you know, very strongly get the next title shot. So I think they're fighting for, you know, if not a title shot, they're fighting for one, you know, um, being in, you know, pretty close to a title shot so that's that's i guess that's the other important fight what did you think of the apex versus the arena that they ran in jacksonville as far as just the ambiance of the empty arena show like did you notice any difference did it did it feel any different at all or you didn't it didn't really matter to me it felt it was it, it, it felt different it felt um um, I don't know. It 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 felt more under controlled. Like you could see, like in the background, you always saw them spraying down the rings before between every uh, spraying in the cage before between every fight. Um, they there were, the precautions were much higher, partially probably because of Nevada, and partially you know maybe because they were criticized for the last last shows that they did. Um. But I mean, as far as the fights themselves, you know, smaller cage. So you, you, um, smaller cage seems to be, you know, more finishes. You know, that's kind of the rule in a smaller cage. So I mean, there's that um, more explosive action. Um, but every card, you know, every card since they've come back has been good. This, but this, uh, 
the one on Saturday, you know, was, was really good. Um, you know, there's not as much movement, so you get more, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a lot smaller. So, um, it, it did remind me a little bit of when, um, WWE would kind of go in the background of the PC and then you'd see like, you know, the gym or you'd see just normal hallways that you could tell is not the hallway of a venue. It's a, it's the hallway of, uh, you know, an office, like leading to an office or something. And I thought that was a, that was a little, it wasn't jarring to me, but it almost made it look like, uh, as far as the apex was concerned, it made it look like, it just reminded me like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, we're not in an arena. We're just in this thing. This is kind of the, the, the present day of what we're doing. Whereas in Jacksonville, I didn't really think of it that way. I completely agree with you. It hit me, you know, and I wasn't, it was, was not anything that I was expecting to be different because it's an empty arena show. It doesn't matter where, but it did, it felt like there were, well, you know, there were more restrictions and it was, a, you know, Jacksonville, you know, they were at a, a major arena and this is like a real small place. It's just a small place. It, it, it you know, it's a difference between Daly's place and the, the performance center. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's very much like that. The uh, we, we talked about this on your show, but I kind of wanted to ask you uh, relation to Dana White. I, I imagine it's really hard for him to make fights right now, whether it's athletes who maybe don't want to fight right now. Maybe they're not in the, their best shape. They don't want to lose knowing that, you know, those losses pile up and, and they could be cut. Um do you do you sense that the fighters have any sort of uh, leverage here? Uh, because we just saw the you know the John Jones thing, and it's clear at least to Dana that Jones doesn't have, really have any leverage to you know to to make more money for for a big fight. But what do you see from the from the other fighters? Because it, it definitely looks to me like, uh, as far as Dana's concerned, that he's having a tough time putting fights that he wants to put together. Yeah, but. Once the ESPN deal signed, the leverage of the fighters went way down. Um, they needed to, um, you know, they needed to organize when that, as soon as that deal was done, uh, the pay-per-view deal, because it's like, okay, now, you know, if you don't, if you don't do something now, because you've got that lucrative ESPN deal that you don't want to lose, so that's the pressure on UFC. But you know, you, you know, UFC can wait out the fighters. You know, that's the, the thing with the fighters is they're living hand to mouth, so. It's 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 tough. It's tough to you know, and they know it. And their careers are short, and um, it's it's hard in a sport like UFC to to bargain. But that's also why they're making what they're making as compared to what um, the percentage that the players in you know the major team sports are making because you know or bo- you know or boxing because boxing is so built on draws and the structure just got so big. That it's just like this is what boxers make, even if it doesn't make even sense. Whereas with um, fighters, you know, it's like this is what MMA fighters make because they were, you know, held down because of, you know the company originally wanted to make giant profits, and now the company, um, you know, you know, I, I get, I guess the giant profits, so it, they would be able to sell it at a big price, which is powering it up. And then now they have to make big profits because they've got to fund the losses for Endeavor and they've got their own, um, you know, those loans 
they have to pay the interest on. So, you know, they 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 can't give the fighters, uh, you know, the percentage that these other companies do. Still, the fighters still should be making a lot more money, but that's that's the situation that we're in. But the leverage that, that that McGregor and John Jones had went way way down as soon as the ESPN deals, the ESPN pay per view deal was signed. The uh, the new rule that it looks like uh, for sports, where international travel can happen again, D- does Dana still do and the Fight Island thing? Does he still need to do it? He doesn't need to do it, and I don't see any reason to do it now, um, because the whole reason of doing it was because they couldn't get people into the United States. It's like, why bother if you can run Vegas every Saturday night? Why go to the you know, the middle of nowhere, um, you know, it's just incredible expense that you don't need to, that you don't need, especially now, because I mean, they're not, there are no live gates. I mean, it's like, even though that they have like guaranteed money and everything coming from uh, television, it's like, you want to keep the profits up. You can, you know, do these cheaper shows as far as like, you know, running in your own building and everything like that. And rather than fly people all over the world. Yeah, yeah, no, it just it just seems like, you know, once that happened, I, I just I just immediately wondered, like, does this dude have to go through? But but it seems like he worked so hard yeah, they on work, it they, that he still worked wants so hard, to do they've it. Worked, they, they've worked so hard on setting things up over wherever they are, you know, but but uh, yeah. But it's, it's it's the cost of doing business. I mean, I I will say this: when I saw saw um, Dana like talk about like he talked about um, Disney, and he said like you know I used to think that like an eight year old could run Disney. It's it's it's, it's you know kind of like with WWE where it's like you know you're almost monkey proof. You know you you can't lose money no matter what. Um, and UFC for that matter, you know it's the same type of a business. And it's kind of like you just don't know what's going to happen. Because, um, like, Disney's, like, in, you know, Disney went from being, like, you know, top of everything else, you know, their theme parks are all closed. And that, that from what I understood, that, that, that the theme parks and the cruises were, like, the, the biggest part of their business. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and, you know, ESPN, I mean, their ratings are, you know, with no live sports, their ratings went way, way down. They, I mean, they did. They did get the. Uh, they did get those. The the those the Jordan thing. From the Jordan thing. The Jordan thing was a huge success. Yes. By yes, the way, the the, the 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 um the UFC part of this is is over. But I, I did wonder, do you like the Undertaker documentary? Yes. Um, although everyone tells me it, it can't hold a candle to the Jordan one. Well, but, which I the, haven't seen. The, I mean, there there are major comparisons. Uh, and you know the the way that the way that they were sort of created with the idea that this was going to be the end, and someone had the idea, okay, you know, let's shoot this. I think that that you know there are parallels there, but the two really big differences to me: one, Michael Jordan never comes across as this broken down person in any way, any way in this documentary. He comes out on top every single time. Not the the thirty year old version of Michael, and now the fifty something year old version of Michael. He never, you know, there there are some sentimental moments, and you see a little bit of that. Um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe the shield comes down a little bit, but in the Undertaker doc, 
I can't. I'm just thinking like this poor guy. Like he's broken down. He can't say no to Vince, and he's never going to go out on his own terms. Like I just feel bad, and like so that that really. Uh, that the Undertaker character, who you you know you could really do no wrong with, now I look at him in like completely different eyes. Um, yeah, I think for most people, you know, they because the thing is, is like until the end, Vince and Undertaker always wanted to protect that character. You know, I mean, that was the whole thing. I mean, you got to remember, he was the last one to go on social media because the Undertaker shouldn't be on social media. You know, when it was over, it's kind of like, okay, it's over, and, and I can, you know, whatever. But, I mean, just the whole thing of him, you know, married to Michelle McCool and all that. She, she's like, great in this thing, though, by the way. She's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. She she definitely is. Um, you know, the other one, too, is, is is I trust that the ESPN doc was more balanced because The Undertaker. It's like it's it's a lot more, like, I thought Mark Cowley comes across really well in the sense of I think that he lets you in way more than I expected. And he's, you know, you can see how much you, how much he cares about wrestling and how much he cares about the Undertaker character and things like that and how much it hurts him, you know, because time really does march on and he knows it because he's he's hurting and there's a part of him who knows that he's not what he once was and he really should retire, but it's kind of like it's he's a part of that WrestleMania thing and he has whatever. You know, he has the feeling, well, you know, he, he needs to do it and I can I can do it and, and, and you know, if I just, whatever, you know. But, you know, the, the whole idea to me is, is like... With, with pro wrestling, and Hogan was like this at the end, too. It's kind of like you do a match, and then you have a surgery after the match. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, at that point, you probably shouldn't be wrestling anymore if you know going in. Okay, like wrestling should be, everyone gets hurt in wrestling, but there should be no certainty of an injury that requires surgery just to do a match. When you go in there with the idea that, okay, I'm going to do this match, and then I'm going to hurt a body part, and need surgery, and I know this going in, it's kind of like, to me, that's the sign that you don't need to be wrestling anymore. You know what I mean? The, the documentary makes it seem like Vince is always going to ask this guy, come WrestleMania time, if he's ready, or even with these Saudi Arabia shows. But, is I mean, I, I just don't sense that anybody is going to protect this guy from himself, especially if his boss is like, hey... It's that time of year again. And his wife, who she she is very supportive, and I could, I could tell she's really worried. And maybe there's other things involved that they're not talking about. But I, well, you know, that's, 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 that's the thing. We all know that the key thing, and they don't talk about it, is the money. Right, right. You know, I mean, that subject is avoided. And that's, that's where, when I watch it, I go, okay, this is still... You know, even even at, at 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 being good, this is still a whitewash because we all know one of the reasons he keeps coming back is because he can make an incredible amount of money in a match. Um, you know, I mean, because Vince pays him great to do these matches, enough to where you know I'm going to do this match and then I'm going to go get my hip done. I'm going to you know whatever, <laughs> you know, knowing going in. 
um, you know, because again, surgery is not something that you should do with a certainty of, you know, and um, and he's, you know, again, when you will see how much he's hurting, and I mean, I remember, I remember talking to guys in '97, you know, like, oh, you, you should see how banged up he is, and and he maybe he can last one more year, and you know, we're 23 years later, and he's in his 50s, and he's not a young. 55 if there's if that even exists i guess it does to a degree but he's he's an old 55 because he's just so banged up but you know i mean the 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 latitude of the gimmick does allow him to do like a lot of smoke and mirrors and little things like sit up and things like that that'll get a pop so he can get through a match easier than most but at the same time he's frustrated by it because he doesn't want to be that guy even though, we, you know what I mean? I mean, you can see he really doesn't want to be that guy who's faking his way through, whereas I think a guy like Hogan could give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Hogan, Hogan just wants to do it because he wants to pop. And, 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 I mean, Hogan knows he can't do what he once does, but I don't think it would bother him. I think that, you know, Hogan would probably wrestle it, you know, if, if Vince would just pay him. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but Vince, I think Vince doesn't want Hogan to be in that position. Whereas with Undertaker... Maybe, you know, Undertaker's a lot younger than Hogan. He's 11 years younger, um, 12 years younger. But, um, you know, also, you know, he's, you know, the, the character allows him to kind of fake, I don't want to say fake his way through it because that's not really fair, but it, there's an aura that will make everything kind of okay even when it's bad. You because know, you know that there's Undertaker matches that we've seen in the last couple of years that absolutely sucked, and half the people will argue that it didn't suck when it so plainly did. And he's even, that's the one thing about this doc that I think is so funny, is that these matches which, you know, weren't that good, and people argued were great, and like, oh, you know, you're prejudiced. He's the one out there who's harder on himself. But you know, you know what, though? I mean, when it comes to wrestling, one of the things you'll learn, and there are exceptions to this, but... The really good wrestlers, the really good ones, are much harder on themselves than 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 you know me or anyone else are oh, on yeah. them. Mm-hmm. No, I mean I mean like you know whether, whether it's like you know I mean any any of the any of the real top guys. I mean they're they're harder on themselves. I mean I just you know they watch themselves and they look for every little mistake. You know, and um, because nobody's perfect, and nobody's you know whatever. But yeah, I mean, some people aren't like that. But but I mean, I know. I mean, just with like Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, who never believed that they even had great matches. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's how hard they were on themselves. Yeah, yeah. All right, it's the final we want Flair segment for the Hogan Flair. Halloween Havoc 1994 match feud angle that we've been talking about for these last four weeks now. We're finally at the match, the cage match. It is Mr. T as the referee. You have boxers ringside, uh, Muhammad Ali and Thomas Hearns. And that was actually kind of cool seeing both of them because that's one of the things I forgot about when I was when we were talking about this was they actually had those guys in attendance and it, it didn't. I don't I don't think it necessarily made it bigger, but it did add a little bit to the 
um, mystique, I guess, of the match, just having, you know, those guys there. It, it, it like, I don't, I don't remember, and, and this may just be that I, I forgot, but I don't remember them being really part of the build. Like, I remember Mr. T being part of the build, mm-hmm. but just having them in attendance was just kind of like a cool thing. And I, and I think, I think they, they had wanted Hank Aaron to be there too as well, but I don't, uh, something, something happened there and that wasn't able to, to happen. But like, just, you know, the, the, the idea that that those guys were there was pretty cool yeah i mean i don't know how much bigger it made the match but i think it just made wcw it just gave wcw a little bit more credibility right when some of the big for like a big show it just it just made that match i don't say even bigger but it just it's, i don't know it just seemed like the whole event was a little bigger so i guess it's it was a success and it's pretty cool i liked i liked that I like when they have Celebrity guests and credible. I mean, these are credible guests. It's not like the sea show people, you know. That, oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, I mean, you, you know, got Hurst, the legend, you know. I mean, Ali's as big as they come, right? Like he's he's at that point, he is uh, just as big as they come when it comes to like celebrity sports celebrities. Um, and then you know, Thomas Hearns is not in his prime anymore. He is at the tail end of his uh why well, it's it's even hard to say tail end because he lasts until like the early to the mid 2000s <laughs> as a boxer on probably not ne- you know didn't, not necessary for him to do so but he you know 1994 he is he is still a, a pretty big name um what did you think of seeing mr t and you know i i don't know when the other times i would have seen him since like WrestleMania two or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, but it is, you know, it is like nine years from a little bit in like nine and a half years after WrestleMania one, which was his big, really, really big appearance. What did, what did it, I mean, he, he looked, he looked a lot older, but I don't remember when I was a kid. Well, I actually wasn't a kid when I, when I was in high school. I don't remember thinking like, Oh, Mr. T's over the hill. What I remember was is, well, Roddy Roddy Piper showed us that Mr. T's not really a good fighter. Like that's what I thought. Uh, I, I remember this, and I remember being like, "Mr. T," you know, like because he was not, you know, not pop culture at the time or anything. You know, his, his time is way past. So I didn't know why they want. I don't know why they want to do that callback to you know to the eighties. I guess to me, I think they could have they could have did did without T, but they probably also figured at this time in T's career, you can get him pretty cheap, right? I'm sure they paid a lot less for him than they did uh, than Vince did in um, 1985. So, well, I, well, what I wonder is, you know, and and I try not to outdate these shows because these are pretty evergreen uh, shows that we're doing as far as history. But you know, on um, on Friday's show, we talked about Chris Jericho and Mike Tyson mm-hmm. doing their thing. You know, 22 years after Austin did his thing with Tyson. In 1994, who was the guy instead of Mr. T? Yeah. And I, I would have to think about that. I'd have to kind of, you know, dig through, um, you know, I think, uh, I think we talked about this before, which was uh, in, or in the, probably the first uh, of these four segments was that they, they had wanted George Foreman to be involved in the first, uh, in, in the first match, the Bash at the Beach match. And he would have been great. Someone like George Foreman or Evander Holyfield. Um, I'm trying to think of, um, you know, I, th- I believe Tyson would have been in jail at that time, so you couldn't do Mike Tyson. But Foreman or Holyfield, Riddick Bowe, those would have, would have been guys, you know, of that sort of 
level, but those guys were making, you know, $20 million a fight so that, you know, they didn't necessarily need to need to be a, a referee in a WCW match. I'm trying to think of who else I can't, I can't really think of like who an else action, maybe like an action hero TV star at the time or, you know, cause you know, Mr. T was from TV and, but people always thought he was such a badass, right? From mm-hmm. the A team. So who was like equivalent in 1994? So someone on television he can plug in or the movies, maybe, you know? Jean Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal, Seagal or somebody like that. <laughs> I think I would probably take uh, John Claude over Steven Seagal. I think John Claude would move a little better in that ring than Steven Seagal in 1994. Yeah, and he could take his shirt off too. Yeah, exactly. And do the <laughs> splits on chairs or something, you know? Freak. <laughs> All right, so thinking, uh, go, going back and rewatching this match, I like this match better than the Bash of the Beach match. Mm-hmm. Did you similarly, or did you like the Bash of the Beach match? No, better? no, this match was like really good, and then the craziness at the end was perfect. Crazy, like the way they they layered it was really well done. Like everything was executed. Even Mister T. When it came to the finish and taking the bump, I thought he was in, he was in uh, a, a good position to take the bump. Um, during the match, he might have been in the way a little bit. <laughs> like Flair had to kind of swipe him to the side, you know, just to get you know get him out of the way a couple times. But I mean, at least he was there for the finish and for the, his bump. And so uh, that's a great success because you know how hard it is with these celebrity people. You just never know what you're gonna get, and you know, it just all worked all worked out. And they had the crowd from the bell to the end i mean they took them on a roller coaster ride and and that crowd was super hot in detroit that night so i i agree with you except at the very very end right before the finish i think they were just waiting for the finish to happen and, and they kind of sat on their hands a little bit but the beginning like hogan starts this match as they bring the cage down and Hogan kind of jumps Flair a little bit, and the mm-hmm. crowd just is is just in this thing like right from the get go. And you know Hogan's doing all the heel stuff, right? The heel stuff he used to do, the back rakes and the eye pokes, and you know actually I don't think he's doing a back rake here, but he's doing he does like two eye rakes, like, yeah. right in the first like thirty seconds of the chokes match. with the t shirt, yeah, chokes the t shirt. Mister T actually has to pull it off of him, like dude, what are you doing? But it, it makes in, sense in a, cage, in a cage match, though. It's but, kind of. Yeah, but it does make sense his aggression, Hulk Hogan's aggression to Ric Flair because you remember the angle from Class of Champions. So, uh, and then plus I think he's been a, he gets attacked a couple times still, you know, leading up yeah. to this. So, you know, the the anger's there, the rage is there to get revenge on Ric Flair. So yeah, it makes it makes sense to me. And so the one thing that uh, I I you and I were talking about this match, and and right when we were talking, I get to the part where Flair puts the figure four on Hogan. You know, the, that that is part of, part of this match is, at least early on, it's not so much a, 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 a part later in the match, but, you know, there's a callback to, to the knee. Like, they took out his knee at Clash of Champions. He fought on the bad knee um, for the whole match, and, and so they come back here, and immediately, that's Flair. You know, Flair's going to attack it anyways, because that's his move, but... Um, but but the the crowd is just so wild in anticipation for Flair to finally put this figure four on. I thought that was pretty cool because while it was a pro Hogan crowd, they they were into Flair as well. And I think it was sort of like the lesser of two evils. Like they wanted to see both of them. Mm-hmm. But at the end, they're like, oh, you know, one of them's gonna have to lose, and I guess it's gonna be Rick. But you could tell like there were spots in this match where 
Flair does something and the crowd is just going yeah. crazy for him as well. Yeah, even in their introductions, like, I think this is the loudest reaction Flair got in the, in the other three matches, too. When they introduced him, there's a big, a big roar. The people were, were serious, big time into this. You know, heavy stakes, right, with the career versus career, course of championships on the line. Um, yeah, I mean, not, this was so much fun. I, 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 after this is all over, I really thought, like, man, this is uh, under the radar. People forget, like, a really good trilogy of matches between Hogan and Flair. Yeah, and 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 that, that's a, we should we should after we talk about the match we should talk about why it is a little bit under underrated in, in a sense and and I think I have some thoughts but I would love to hear your thoughts too. Okay, so just getting to the rest of the match, uh, the, I mean they're they're just masters. They're masters at giving the crowd and the crowd. It's not like the crowd doesn't know what's coming, right? The crowd has seen. Every Ric Flair match, the crowd has seen every Hulk Hogan match. They know where the peaks are. They know when to go crazy. Like they are buying into everything because they it, it's what they want too. It's like it's they don't want this different match. They want exactly the match that they're expecting. So I thought that was actually pretty interesting because you know Hogan would get a little bit of flack for you know, the style of his match and the comeback and, and always, you know, vanquishing the guys at the end and no selling their finish and all that stuff. But it's like, if they, if they did not get that, I don't think they would have been as into mm-hmm. it. I think, well, I think it just comes down to, this is uh, two legendary bands and each band's uh, playlist is all the greatest hits. Oh yeah. And this crowd is ready for all those greatest hits. They're ready to sing along. They're ready to dance. They're ready to party. And these two deliver that. I remember, uh, (laughs) this is, this is a funny, uh, funny uh, thought on what you just said. So have, have a laugh at, at my pop culture knowledge here, but, um, Boys to Men. Oh man, I was just listening to some Boys to Men, dude. <laughs> the great R&B vocal group Boys to Men. Damn straight. They they had come out with um you know, the, the, the their first two albums, you know, everyone loves those first two albums. And then, you know, they they lost some popularity as bands do, as vocal groups do. And they were saying that they had come out with like uh, a new album and they were doing the circuit, you know, going back out to to doing their shows. And they would have to, like, alert the crowd, like, okay, you haven't heard this one before, but we still need you to, like, be involved. Like, the song is good. Like, you know, if even if you haven't heard it yet, like, like, just be excited. Like, they had to, like, teach the crowd that just because they weren't getting every song that they knew the words to that, you know, that they couldn't just sit there on their hands. So, very, yeah, so, like, for this match... If if Hogan all of a sudden, you know, starts doing like a Japanese style match or something, they're like, no, like we want what we came for, what we paid money to see. And so they they were like they, the crowd was perfect for these guys and they delivered exactly what they wanted. Now, the uh, as the match goes, there's lots of interference in this match in a cage match. So, you know, mm-hmm. just on the, you know, just the idea that the cage is supposed to keep people out. We know historically, you know, probably since I started wrestling, that was, it was very soon thereafter I started wrestling that that wasn't the case, but 
the interference I don't think necessarily hurts the match because again it just plays into what works in the Hulk Hogan style of match like the absolutely all of the cards stacked against him and he still comes out on top to win and that's what they did here yeah everything worked perfectly like I think Sherry's interference was absolutely perfect I mean her just getting on the cage and climbing and Jimmy Hart grabbing her down and pulling her dress off like and, and, she, and she does a ton of stuff in oh, her lingerie yeah she took that I mean that wild body slam off the top rope like I that was a kind of a funky bump she took off that. It wasn't like a as clean. It was like to the side. So that was a little rough. But the one that I cringed a little bit on was she's got no shoes on because mm-hmm. obviously she's, she's not wearing. She took off her heels and she goes off the top of the cage to do a double axe handle on Hogan. And that's a long drop for her, like for anybody, but especially, you know, she's a little bit smaller than the male wrestlers. And she doesn't have anybody to catch her. She has to stop on her feet and do the axe handle. And I was like, wow, I don't remember that. And that, you know, that was kind of uh, a little risky there, you know, turn an ankle or just, you know, landing on your feet, you break your toe or something like that. I I didn't remember that Mm -hmm. part. She, um, but she was tremendous. The the whole thing, the whole time, the whole, you know, all three matches we've been watching, she was tremendous. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Sherry was necessarily like this classic beauty, but I always found her to be a, 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 an attractive heel. Like, it maybe not even attractive, but always like um, sort of risque. So, you know, when you're growing up and you're like 13, 14, you're like, you know, she's in her underwear for a reason, you know, and it's for these, you know, the fans who probably are a little bit older than me to to kind of uh, get interested in that but i always i always found her to be she wasn't a classic beauty in any way but i always found her to be attractive and and sexy even even though she wasn't classically so and they didn't they never really uh built her as as that she was she was always a heel scary sherry right they always like in the wf they they gave her that nickname scary sherry and and I used to, I'm like you, man. I, I dug her. I dug uh, Sensational Sherry. I thought she was attractive and hot. And I always compare her and Elizabeth. Liz, like I always thought, Liz, I always said, Elizabeth, you take home the mom and dad and, and, <laughs> and have and have dinner with, and then you know eventually marry and settle down with. But that Sensational Sherry is where you have your wild time and party and do all you can do. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, and I liked her. I, and she's also one of the greatest managers of all time, in my opinion. I mean, she's up there. She's up there in the top 10. Um, whatever. She's always at hands to all the people she's worked with and, and compliment them well. Macho Man, Ted DiBiase, Ric Flair, Harlem Heat. Uh, she's, she's a sensational performer. My favorite bump in the match, and I totally forgot that she did this bump. It's a simple bump, is when they did the double clothesline spot mm-hmm, with Hogan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like she's like because you know she's a former wrestler obviously but she's so aggressive too and she goes in she chops freaking hogan she whips off she and she you know throws a great line and and ducks and this and um you know a lot of times today or a lot of these guys when they when they know they're not gonna hit the, the clothesline they just like you know wet noodle it yeah over and you know hogan kings comes in with the big clothesline right and i've 
it's like one of the best bumps to take. I love this bump. I did this bump with actually I did this bump with Brian Cage one time, and uh, you know my I was managing a guy named Vince DeMarco, and we did the spot where we both get him, and I'm in the ring, we grab him, we do the double whip off, and they throw the clothesline, and we he ducks, and he came. This is when he was like you know two hundred two hundred five pounds, Brian Cage, not to, <laughs> and he came flying with this big clothesline, and and you know I took this bump. It was so much fun. I was so proud of that, and then I got yelled at because. Uh, uh, from our one of the bookers or promoters of APW Times, Jason Tetris, he's like, you threw that line like you knew how to throw a line. You're a manager, you're not supposed to throw it like that. And I'm like, well, that's what we've been taught is to throw a line, you know? <laughs> like, I, I didn't, I just like, whatever. And then I remember my, my buddy JJ was like, that's how you throw a line. Don't don't let him even say anything different. I'm like, okay, it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was just funny. That, that, that little spot just brought so many memories back, man. That's why I love wrestling. It's just so much fun and callbacks and stuff. So, um, at some point, uh, the, the, you know, one of the things we, I, I, I forgot to talk about, but I forgot that Hogan throws a right hand, Flair moves out of the way, and he decks Mr. T. And mm-hmm. part of the mystique of the match was that maybe, you know, maybe Flair's got T on the side a little bit. <laughs> you know, maybe Flair and T are kind of in cahoots here in the buildup. And so when Hogan punches T, like, you know, that that's part of the story. But here's here's a part that... I don't think makes a ton of sense. Um, so Flair and Sherry. Now it makes some sense. Flair and Sherry, they, they start beating on T. The handcuff T because they want to keep doing all of this this stuff. But Hogan is out, and they can pin him. Mm-hmm. But they had just plastered Mr. T, and he's out, so he can't do the do the pin. He can't he can't do the three count. So then they so then you know they they have to do more stuff, and and this is when Hogan starts his comeback. Um, but they you know but they got T the in the handcuffs attached to the bottom rope, uh, and then Hogan starts it with Flair gives him this beautiful suplex. And as a as a Hogan fan or just understanding Hogan's matches. You know when the Hulk up is coming. You know when the no sell is coming. And Flair has him in this really great suplex. And I'm the back of my mind, and I haven't seen this match in 20 years. The back of my mind, I'm like, okay, he's he this is where the Hulk up starts. And it starts. He you know, he he no sells it, he gets up, and then you know, Flair and Sherry, then they do the double clothesline, like you said, and Hogan hits both of them. Uh, Flair, Flair, I forget what Flair does, but then Hogan starts to start to do do get into his big thing. Boot, big boot big on chair, big boot. Um, and then uh, he he and he and Rick go in the uh to the to the top rope, and and Hogan starts banging Flair's head against the cage. And once the crowd can count, then they get back into it because they for about a minute and a half they're they're a little silent because I think they know what's coming. But they're just kind of like, okay, like we know that we're waiting for the boot and 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 the leg drop and and so they finally get there. Hogan smartly positions Flair a little bit closer to the rope than he would normally. You know, he normally center the ring. He throws that leg drop, but he positions him a little bit closely to to where T is because T's still kind of kind of groggy. He's he's handcuffed to this bottom rope. And then he does the leg drop right in front of T and he lays on his back to pin Flair. He does not cover him like he normally would. He kind of covers him like a laid out on his back uh, and, and spread, spreads him out and he gets the three count. Um, I, I, I'm not sure why he did it that way unless, uh, I don't know if there was a reason uh-uh. that, that you could think of why he did that. I think he just did it ad lib, right? You know, like at the moment. 
But you know, I, I noticed the the finish was a little wonky just because Hogan, when he gave him the big boot and going for the big leg drop, he just realized he's he did it when he did it. It was out of position. Like it wouldn't be close to T, right? So he kind of like had to reposition him, body slam him, and he was so close to the rope and to to uh, it wasn't like the big dramatic like hit mm-hmm. the ropes coming with this big leg drop. It was like a hit the ropes real quick and then drop the leg. It wasn't this, you know, it wasn't like that that classic Hogan leg drop. So that that was kind of a bummer, but uh, I can understand. I think you know also. You know, the WWF ring's a little bit bigger than the WCW ring, so I think Hogan's still getting used to that smaller ring. The the, I, the thing I forgot to mention is the masked man comes in with the pipe, mm-hmm. and uh, and he starts to to add it. So it's not even a double team; it's now a triple team. I believe the masked man during this match was uh, Steve Kern, and then uh, Sting has to come out, uh, and he blasts Sting with the bat. So, or with the, I'm sorry, with the pipe. So Sting, so we, we, Sting was in and, the crowd. He, and he Jimmy was, too, Jimmy Hart too. And, and Jimmy Hart takes Jimmy Hart out. So it, it lets us know Sting is there. He's kind of there to, to to just watch and see what happens. He eventually is there to watch Hogan's back because as Hogan is starting to do his celebration, the masked man comes back. This this masked man's a little chunkier, a little bulkier. Uh, Bobby Heenan's trying to sell it as it's Arn Anderson, and uh, it turns out that uh, this 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 masked man it, it cannot get one over on Hogan. So Hogan unmasks him as Brother Brudeye, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, his longtime friend. Brutus has got the wide eyes. Hogan has got the wide eyes. Kevin Sullivan comes in. Hogan's looking around going like, oh, uh, you know, this might be two on one here. It actually becomes three on one because out comes the former earthquake. And I forgot somebody. It was either Heenan or Mean Gene goes, I feel and it feels like an avalanche. Shivani said the same. Shivani did the same thing as well. I was like, oh, my God. And then um, I know, and, and then so John Tenta as the not the earthquake, but as the avalanche comes in, and they rekindle their uh, 1991 feud, I guess. But so this is where Sting comes back. Sting uh, and Sting kind of clears the ring a little bit to to help the Hulkster. But one thing that I think uh, Mean Gene sold fairly well was that it wasn't just the physical beating that Hogan took. It was also the psychological beating because his best friend of all best friends is the one who turns on him at the end. And so the the thing that I I think there's two things uh, as to, you know, you you had mentioned earlier, why is this uh, these three, this trilogy of matches not really remembered as well as they should be? One of the reasons, I think, is because of the end of this thing and and because of what we lead into because i don't think a lot of people were too happy with uh i think i think fans were like okay like we're gonna get hogan and and we understand that but we want to see him against wcw guys Mm -hmm. we don't want to see him against in feuds that we already saw in wwf and so i think that's part that that's one part of it but what, like, you know, would, do you remember when you're when you're watching this and and you see all of these ex WWF guys come in? Do you remember what you were thinking? Um, I wasn't too disappointed in that. Even in the turn of of Brother Brutai, we 
Bobby Heaton screaming his famous line, he's butchered a friendship. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Bruce Peepcake, Brother Brutai, now becomes the butcher. And um, in the three faces of fear with Avalanche and Kevin Sullivan. And I, I remember not hating it because I liked the idea of a friend like, like a, you know, with Bruce Peepcake turning. But when I realized it was going to be the Starcade main event. Yeah. That's when things started really bum me out because that definitely did not feel like a Star Arcade main event to me, and it wasn't. It's probably one of the worst Star Arcade main events of all time. So uh, it was star- around Star Arcade is when I really, really was like, okay, this is getting a little too much. Also, you know, a month before that, before Hollywood Havoc, I was maybe a tad bit feeling this because I was really pissed off about Jim Duggan beating Steve Austin in seconds to win the, the U.S. title. And but I was still okay for the most part with the the, the turn. But then I started like I started realizing, oh my god, it's gonna be Starcade. But there's a little hope at the end of Starcade when 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 they were setting up Vader and Hogan. And that was a mm-hmm. that was a match I was really looking forward to seeing until the clash from that. We were going we got out and we might as well talk about it now because we're not gonna cover any other time when Hogan no sold the power bomb from <laughs> from Vader on the clash before the pay per view. Oh, I, I, I that that was like the one of the worst decisions ever in wrestling, um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was it was in December when I really started getting okay. I'm tired. I'm tired of this. And then '95 gets ridiculous with because it continues with, you know, um, who else shows up? The cast of characters, you know, the Dungeon of Doom was just way too goofy and hokey for me and silly. It was up there with the. Paul Bear, like my Paul Bear would show up on my team screen. My dad would just laugh at me for watching wrestling. I felt the same way when Dungeon of Doom came on the screen. So, so by Super Brawl, you do have um, uh, the Nasty Boys. You have Randy Savage. You have, like we said, Avalanche. Um, was so on, it, I was hating on Savage coming, though. I'll tell you that. I was super pumped when Savage signed in December. Yeah, you know, I think that even though he was a WWF guy, he's also one of Hogan's best opponents and still a huge star, mm-hmm. even though WWF at the time was trying to, uh, you know, try, trying to uh, turn him into an announcer and everything. We had covered the, the 93 raw stuff and, and, you know, he was, he was announcing and he, and he wanted to, to work more. So I think it was right after WrestleMania, right? Was it, no, 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 no. It would have been a year. It would have been about a year after WrestleMania where he comes to WCW. Yeah, December of '94 is when I remember it was on like a random Saturday night. You know, not not like not in like the Clash November anything. It was just they announced him on WCW Saturday night. He showed up in golden black. I'll never forget it. And I just remember being super excited about that because I was a, such a huge Macho Man Randy Savage fan in WWF and. And I was cool with that, but, uh, you know, and I was cool with Avalanche, too, or Earthquake, because I really liked Earthquake. I love that feud they had in 90s. It's a really good, really good feud, too. Um, yeah, 90, not 91. But, uh, but you know, and Bruce Beefcake, man, this, this a Bruce Beefcake turn in 1990 would have been a good, great thing, right, if he didn't get hurt and they, they did something like this. Um, I think it would have been a, a, a bigger deal, but, like, you know, this it just happened, you know, four years too late, and... Um, at first I thought it was cool, but then I realized, you know, because God, man, Brutus, he can't do anything at this point in his career, you know, and he's never recovered from not being able to become Bruce Beefcake, you know, anywhere else but WWF. 
So the second reason why I think this is a little underrated is because of how Ric Flair's retirement and comeback is treated. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous. Yes. Beyond, the yeah. way that he comes back is awful. Him taking the uh, losing the the the, the match the isn't it the strap match where where Hogan uses him instead of Vader and that's how Vader loses. Yeah, was that uncensored? Yeah, which was the first uncensored? I think. Yeah, it was the first uncensored. It was one of the worst worst pay per views of all time. Yeah, that was that was really bad. And plus, he came out. He he showed up in drag and at Super Bowl, right? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he interferes in that match. Yeah. In drag. It's just, I know. I don't I mean, they really. So, so, so you know, Flair is the, he is the ace in, in that company. And he has to step aside for Hogan to, to make this match bigger than it, 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 bigger than ever. And we talked about him getting a, a raise out of this. So that was really smart. But just the way that they, that they bring him back, I think, puts a little bit of a stain on their feud because mm. he came, he 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 retired and then came back as kind of a joke, and it just showed that okay, like this, you know, I think it proved to folks like okay, like even even Rick is is not going to be able to be uh be the be the person that we want him to be with Hogan here, like it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be Hogan, 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 which, you know, if you're talking about the, the money aspect and the pay-per-view buy rate aspect and the reason why you bring him, that's, that's why you bring him in. But at the same time, there were probably lots of hardcore WCW fans who were just like, ah, like, I just really hate seeing Rick like yeah. this. I always thought they should have, you know, it, it's good for him to be off TV for a while. And I would, I always thought for a way to have him to come back and it, and it'd be really interesting if, you know, because Nick, Nick Bakke was a WCW commissioner at the time. But we'll have something happen to Nick. Maybe he got ill or he's, he's unable to you know, fill his commitments or maybe he gets hurt by a heel wrestler. So he's he's taken out of that position. So that position is vacant. And and they start talking about, like, you know, who's going to be the new WCW commissioner. People are interviewing for it. You know, Tony Schiavone interviewed for it. You know, just kind of like go through the list of, you know, Greg Gagne and, you know, people you have there. But then it's decided on by Ted Turner is going to make the final call, and he puts Ric Flair in that position. Everyone's like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" Hogan's leery. You know, what's he going to do to him? How is he going to make his life miserable? But then Flair's actually a babyface commissioner for a while, mm -hmm. and he's actually do, making decisions that's just benefiting Hogan and 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 stopping the heels from doing anything to take advantage of Hogan. And Hogan's finally trusting Flair, but then right when he just trusts his Flair. He pulls something on Hogan, right? Which forces, you know, Hogan to demand that, you know, Flair come back and they have a match or something like that. I always thought that would have been interesting. Him jumping the guardrail and drag, not interesting at all. And it just, uh, Flair took, it took a while in 1995 for Flair to recover from that until, well, he, you know, but he did well in the Nitro. You know, once Nitro started hitting, he started getting some steam again. Yeah. Um, okay, well, th that'll do it. And, and the the final We Want Flair of the Year for us is going to be Ric Flair and Sting mm -hmm. from 1990. So depending on how much, uh, how much research I can get done 
for uh, the rest of this week. We'll determine if we start with the next show or if we wait a week because uh, I'm going to have to start digging into some late 89 and early uh, 90 observers to really remember everything that was going on at that time. Did Dave cover in the Observer during this match why Mr. T's wearing a jacket as a referee? I don't. I don't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> that just bothered uh, my, my, my. Well, my guess. He was ashamed of his body. Right. Yes. He, did, he. He. His physique. That was my guess. I know. I'm like, dude. That. That. That, that, that dude must be hot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I always thought that was, it was just funny to me. Whenever we watch that match over, I'm like, oh man, why is he wearing that jacket? I must suck. But. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So so we will be back for one more. We want Flair segment for the year, and then we're going to move on to uh, 92 WCW Saturday Night stuff from uh, the same time frame from from July uh, through the end of the year, and then we'll figure out what to do with uh, with We Want Flair in 2021. Uh, we're, we're, we may still be home, by the way, by, by then, so we'll have lots of time to think about <laughs> what what matches that, or how, if we want to change anything about what we're doing. Yeah, so. we're going to cover the, uh, the the strap match with Vader and us. <laughs> Well, no, there's no, uh, we're, not, we're not, we're not. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's stuff, you know, if we're talking about flair stuff, like we, you know, there's tons of stuff in 89, but a lot of the, the stuff in 89 is already, you know, so many people have talked yeah. about it is really his best stuff, but I still feel like, you know, the funk matches, we have, we kind of have to talk about the funk match. Like that's just too classic to not have a do yeah. do a show on oh let's so. talk about that actually my favorite match of all time yeah it's it's like maybe top five for me too yeah uh after uh young bucks against omega and page i'm kidding by the way your <sighs> <laughs> best tag team match of all time of course <laughs> yeah uh-huh I I I I will I would have to dig through some old tapes and, and watch some tag matches in order to determine what the greatest tag yeah. match of all time is. All right, so yeah, so so we'll, we will be back uh, uh, soon to talk about Sting and Ric Flair. All right, want to say thanks to Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer. You can listen to a show that Dave and I did if you're a subscriber to uh, Wrestling Observer slash figure4online.com. And uh, it, uh, it, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty good show because we did it after the, the fight night. And, you know, we kind of, like we are wont to do, kind of go all over the place when it comes to the news and the different, and the different uh, shows. And um, so that, that was this weekend. Also, uh, upcoming, uh, the one thing I, I forgot to mention in the intro is... Um, we're, John and I should have a pretty a pretty good preview of the NXT in your house show. I forgot that that was also this this upcoming weekend. To me, on paper, not the strongest show that they could possibly do, but some of that is because a lot of their best uh, their best wrestlers are, are on the main roster. But so John and I will also have that. You know, again, UFC uh, 250 is kind of going to be uh, a lot of the stuff that that will be on the website this week. And who knows? Maybe we maybe we'll be able to talk to uh, uh, you know someone someone pretty interesting. So um, not not promising anything. Just uh, crossing my fingers on this one. But anyways, uh, definitely uh, keep keep your eyes glued on fightgamemedia.com, and we will be back Thursday. Uh, so for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. 
We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.